Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. So today we are concluding a message series. This is a four-week message series called Come and See. And we've been walking through the first four chapters of the book of John, which is a, Bible, uh, a book in the Bible, and really it's a biography. I love biographies, and especially I love biographies of Jesus. And in these introductory chapters that we've been looking at, you read about a handful of people that met Jesus for the first time. And when we, when we look at this book and we look at these stories, it's exciting to see the way that Jesus interacted with people. I mean, he, he walked around. He, he had a body. His feet got dusty on the road, just like everyone else. And, and he interacted with people. And it's really interesting to see the way that people responded to him. And by looking at these stories, it gives us a better idea of how we can interact with the people that we meet on a day-to-day basis. And so one of my other jobs on staff here at OCC is to oversee our student ministry. And so I work with our junior high and high school students. And uh, when I was first getting that started, I needed help. I was intimidated about working with teenagers. And so I was like, I need some, I need some coaching here. And so I actually went to Hope Church myself and uh, spent some time with their student pastor who had been doing ministry for years and years. And so I, I, was paying, I was like, how can I get myself on his schedule? And so I, got, I brought my notebook. And it so happened that we were walking through just a local fair that was happening in town there. That's just how I could get time with him. And so we're walking along. We're passing by booths of, of food and games and, and all kinds of uh, vendors and things like that. And I'm asking questions, just kind of writing things down in my notebook. And all of a sudden, I lose track of my mentor. His name's Todd. I lost him. <laughs> he was kneeling on the ground, helping a boy that was at this woodworking station. Uh, he was working with hammer and nails and getting frustrated. And about, it appeared like he was about to give up. And Todd has a lot of construction background, and this would be a piece of cake for him. And he started work, working with him, encouraging him, showing him what to do. And then the dad who was standing nearby, also you know, seemed intimidated by the whole thing, but came in, started getting involved, and all of a sudden, this, this whole interaction is taking place where uh, Todd saw a need, and he jumped in to help somebody. And that story, even though it was, it was more or less just a, a simple interaction, it's, it's really stood out to me because it makes me ask the question, how often do people not even make it onto my radar? Uh, I'm so focused on my goals and, and the things that I'm trying to accomplish, you know, I was looking around and I, I was reading the situation that we were in, Todd and I. And he was looking around reading the situation, but his read was different than mine. He saw someone in need. And I realized that sometimes I just miss it. I miss it when I'm too narrowly focused on my own concerns and I'm boxed in by them. And I think, I think we can get into a rut. When, and we just lose track of what's happening all around us. And I don't want to miss what God is doing in my life. I don't want to miss what he's doing in the people around me. And so it makes me ask, is, is it possible that God is concerned with a completely different set of issues than I'm concerned with? I mean, how would you feel if you got to the end of your life and looking back, you discovered that while you were focused on a lot of good things, you somehow didn't do the very best things. And there were some things that just seemed so important to you in the moment, and they just kind of fade into a blur. Or, or there's just some people that you didn't notice were insignificant, and then all of a sudden they're very important now. We're going to look at a story in which the followers of Jesus had a whole entire oh, whole entire viewpoint. <laughs> We're improvising here this morning, okay? If you didn't see what happened, I almost fell off the back of the stage. <laughs> I have cat-like reflexes. Okay. I hope I do. All right. Um, <laughs> All right, so this story that we're going to look at, hopefully a lot more interesting than what I'm doing. Uh, 
the disciples had a viewpoint, they had a way of looking at this situation. And in one short, jarring conversation, Jesus smashed that viewpoint into pieces. And he revealed his, his viewpoint on the situation. So we're going to start by reading in John 4, picking up with Jesus, where he's traveling on the road. And so in verse 5 it says, Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well, about noontime. And so you can imagine, when you go outside of this building today, it's going to be about noontime, it's going to be hot. <laughs> imagine if you were traveling for hours, you're going to be tired. And this was Jesus. Though he was God, he also had a physical body like we did, like a human, and so he was subject to physical limitations like we are, such as heat and exhaustion. And then soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, two things are unusual about this. First, noon was not the normal time to get water. It's really hot outside. And so the cool of the evening was the normal time for, for women to go to the well and draw water. And then second, there were a lot of other closer wells to this village than the one she went to. And so it's unusual that, that she's going to this particular one at this time where Jesus happens to be. But what we're going to learn is that due to a life of immorality, she wasn't a very popular person in her city. And so she would rather travel in the heat of the day to the, to the farther well, basically to avoid people, to, to avoid the scorn and the hostility interacting with other women. And so the woman, verse 9, was surprised. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And, and what Jesus asked her, it seems like a simple question. I mean, you've probably asked people for water before. At a, at a restaurant, maybe you have a, a woman who comes up to serve at your table. And you ask her for water. This is a normal thing. But in this time period, it's very different. His requ request was a shocking breach in social customs. In fact, to, to get a better idea of really what that was, take a look at who this person was. First, this person was different in ethnicity. And, and Samaritans were basically half Jewish. They were a mixed race back in the history of Israel when uh, Jews intermarried with, with foreign groups of people. And, uh, th and, and this was, the Samaritans were this uh, uh, ethnicity that came out of that. But then centuries of mistrust and animosity uh, started developing between these two groups. And so, so that's, that's the starting point. The second, she's also different in religious tradition. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, called the Pentateuch, uh, where the Jews accepted a, lot, a wider range of books. And then also the Samaritans worshipped God in a different location than the Jews did, which was in Jerusalem. And so there's these big structural religious differences that were happening. And so many Jewish people despised Samaritans like this woman. So much that they would travel miles on foot all the way around Samaria, even though it was a faster route, just so they, would, they wouldn't have to have to go anywhere near these towns and interact with these people. And then also, she's a woman. That part is obvious, but what's significant here is that in these days, men did not talk with women in public. Not even their own wives. And, and that's very different from the way our culture works today. But, but this is how it was, and this was the social norm. And then finally, she's an immoral outcast. Jesus was a religious teacher, uh, known as a rabbi, well-respected, and... 
you just you don't do that. You, as a rabbi, you don't interact with immoral, outcast women like this. And for any Jewish person, it would have been completely improper for them to accept uh, any food or water, any kind of item that's been touched by this woman. So Jesus, in this one simple request, is totally shattering so many barriers here. And if any of Jesus' disciples were there at the moment, their mouths would have just dropped open in shock. You know, how could you, what, what, what are you doing? And the woman, she approached the well. I'm, I'm guessing she saw him and totally expected to be ignored by him. That would have been normal and, and commonplace. So when Jesus looks directly at her and makes a request for water, I wouldn't be surprised if she just dropped her bucket in shock. This is so far out of, the, out of the category of normal interacting. And so she says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me for, for water. He's saying you'd ask me for water and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And so she hasn't really caught on to what Jesus is talking about here. We, we, you know, from our perspective, we're seeing he's talking about something deeper, more significant. She hasn't caught on to the difference between physical water and living water. And she's confused and, and also a little skeptical that this stranger that she's never met before, never seen, is going to be able to make good on, on this offer. And Jesus, in his kindness and, and his patience, replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now that sounds pretty good. A fresh, bubbling spring, you know, bubbling up forever. And you thought LaCroix was good. Sparkling water. The pamplemousse. The, the good stuff. This is totally different. Here, here Jesus is talking about the living water of spiritual life. And, and, and he's referring holding that out in contrast to her parched soul. Because this is such a new concept for her, she's still thinking primarily, primarily in terms of physical water. And she says, Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. That also sounds good. She's focused on the, in the convenience factor here of, of an endless water supply. And I have to pause here because... This is, this is a point to which we can relate with the woman. <laughs> we're, we're in a place where we're used to being hot and dry and thirsty. <laughs> I mean, you can go outside and look at the hills, the brown landscape here. We're, we're used to being in a, a parched environment. I mean, I love, I love hot riverside nights and being outside and hanging out till late. But at a certain point, I, I start looking forward to fall. <laughs> I want it to cool down. I want it to start raining. In fact, we, this, just this week, I was out passing out flyers for sports camp with a team of summer interns that we have. Right now we have six interns in a program called Shift. And we we're passing out all these flyers, and I was trying to plan it so that we'd be doing it in the morning. But it sort of worked out to where it was like 12 to 2 in the afternoon. <laughs> and we're in a neighborhood that has basically no trees in it. And, and also, I wanted to give out a 1,000 flyers, so we're running. So we're running through this neighborhood in the middle of the day, trying to pass out these flyers, and I severely underestimated the amount of water that we would need. Uh, within the first hour, all of our bottled water has gone, <laughs> and I, I'm out there, I'm running, and, and I was thinking, two hours, sure, I'll get a little thirsty, but like, you know, we can make it through two hours. The inside of my mouth felt like dry velvet. Just, it, it was, every, I was so thirsty, and, uh, 
And I was thinking, you know, every house I'm, I'm going by, I'm like looking at the water spigots, I'm looking at the hoses, and, and the guy with me is like, can we get some of that? Like, I'm hold on, just let, let's just see, let's see how long this takes us. So finally, we're talking with this woman about Swartz Camp. We gave her a flyer. She had some questions. And, and I said, I don't know if this is weird, but can we get a drink of water out of your hose? <laughs> she's like, and I, I'm pretty desperate at this point, okay? And she's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And so we poured it all over our heads, like in our mouths, just like just water going all over the place. And I have to tell you, it felt incredible. <laughs> the hose water tasted bad, but that didn't matter. It was hot. It didn't matter. Just, just the way, having such a core elemental need be satisfied so thoroughly, it was the best part of my day. I, it, was, it felt incredible. And so I, I think I was thinking about that. I was thinking about my intense thirst, and I haven't been that thirsty in a long time. And I was thinking about this story, and I was thinking that this woman's spiritual thirst is actually far more severe and far more desperate. Having it's really a picture of people that haven't found Jesus, that haven't found that living water, and haven't had this kind of refreshment. It, this is people. It's an example of people living life in their own way according to their own devices, living life apart from God. And this is the condition that people find themselves in, trying to find things that are going to satisfy that truly don't satisfy. And so you've got to imagine, that, just imagine, look at this scene. There is this person, this woman, who's so desperately dry, spiritually, and Jesus is just standing feet away from her, ready in an instant to provide the most permanently refreshing experience that you can imagine. And compared to the well water, Compared to the hose water, <laughs> the living water from Jesus is far more satisfying and fresh and powerful and delightful. And so this, this interaction is happening, and it's at this point that Jesus takes the conversation on a totally unexpected turn. And he tells her, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Wow. (laughs) He just pulled the layers back in an instant. He just revealed her story. You know, clearly this is supernatural knowledge that he's had because he is God. And he totally just exposes the heart of this woman's issue. And at first she was trying to answer evasively, I don't have a husband, but it, it didn't get her very far. And so then she just says, Sir... You must be a prophet. And she's caught, she caught on to that pretty quickly. And, and with that answer, she's basically confirming, you're right. You got me. You, you know. How, you, somehow you know. And there's a little bit more dialogue that takes place. And she's trying to figure things out. But you can see that her heart is moving towards a position of repentance as her sin is exposed. And, and eventually the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And you're thinking, I know, he's standing right in front of you. He's right there. And so so it's a powerful crescendo. This story reaches a climax. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then, incredible timing, the disciples come back. And they're shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? (laughs) Or why are you talking to her? They're just taking it all in. And when Jesus says this, I am the Messiah, it was profoundly significant. Even more than you realize when you first read this. You know, the word Messiah, what he's saying is, first of all, that I'm going to be the savior of the world. I'm going to bring God's salvation and make it available to every person on the planet. 
And up until this point, the woman did not know his identity. She didn't know who she was talking to. And so this revelation would have been a staggering shock to her. And she's likely to believe it because of what he just said. And the disciples, for their part, they already knew Jesus' identity. And they had talked about it together. Uh, He was the Savior, the Son of God. But he had not declared this publicly to anybody yet. This had not been a, he had not come out and said it. And, and Jesus had been operating somewhat incognito, you know, for the, the first few chapters of the story. And he could have revealed this powerful truth, his incredible identity, to the most influential people in society at that time. He could have picked the time and place for that. But now, now he chooses to make his big statement of identity to this person. He reveals his identity to an obscure, despised, immoral Samaritan woman. This left his disciples reeling. They didn't know how to take this in. And why? the reason he did this, Jesus revealed himself to this particular person first, before anyone else, because he wanted to proclaim his plan for worldwide salvation. This, this was a, a tangible illustration of his plan for global evangelization. You know, salvation is not just for the disciples. It's not just for the Jews. It's just not for the good people. It's for everybody. And so this story boldly proclaims that Jesus can cross every barrier to bring us what truly satisfies. Jesus can cross every barrier to bring us what truly satisfies. This was his all-encompassing mission. And if, if it was his desire to bring living water to a person, he can't be blocked. He can't be restricted or held back. His love is totally unobstructed by the barriers that may exist in our minds. The disciples had a very narrow view of who God would save. And I I don't want to hold it against them. Part of the reason that was is because of their upbringing and the things that they were taught and the culture that they were steeped in. And I, I know I wouldn't have done any better if I was in their shoes. It took a jarring demonstration to jolt through the expectations of who would get God's love. It was like a sledgehammer experience that smashed through everyone's excuses for not showing love to certain kinds of people. And so what Jesus shattered weren't actually obstacles. He has no obstacles. He can cross every barrier. He shattered our preconceptions about who's eligible, about who's capable of receiving God's love, who's possible. Jesus thought, Who's the farthest person away from everyone's expectations? I'll start there. Who's the polar opposite? The kind of person that just doesn't make it onto anybody's radar. Who's totally ignored, forgotten, and shunned? I'll start there. Different ethnicity? That doesn't matter. Different religion? Different gender? Different lifestyle practices? Different socioeconomic status? None of that matters. It just doesn't matter. This woman's story was very desperate. And over the years, she's brought hope to a lot of people. Because she was known by Jesus. He knew about her. He knew about her dark history, about her sin. And still, he chose to reach out. If Jesus would go after a person like that, if he could turn her life around, is there anybody that's too far gone? Is there anybody that's unreachable? And this story brings hope to me. You know, it makes me ask, what good reason do I have for receiving Christ's living water? I can't really think of any. (laughs) In fact, if things were going the way that the disciples thought, I would never make it in. I'm not Jewish. I'm not even half Jewish. (laughs) I'm I'm no Jewish. And so, but I've been welcomed in. I've experienced his living water. And praise God that he he makes salvation available to every person on the planet. Praise God. 
And so I'd like to show you a video of a man from our church. And if you would have met this guy during his college years, you would have thought that there were many barriers blocking God's love from reaching him. So take a look at what he says. Definitely uh, just pursuit of, of worldly things. Uh, my answer to everything was was to to get angry or to to react, and so that nonstop left me uh, empty-handed and um, just in, in want at the end of the day. Um, a big part of my life, I was raised on sports, and so um, nonstop wanting to be the best and, and and doing whatever you can to get to that spot. Um, really was on a pedestal that I shouldn't have been on um, and it was one that never really um, never really got me to a spot of like man I feel secure and then I'm, I'm, I'm set to go if I was reaching for a goal no matter how much I tried for it just it was through my hands it was like smoke trying to grab smoke and just the endless trying to grab for the thing that you want and not getting it um, you just get to a spot where there's really just no light at the end of the tunnel and the, and the only answer that I had was to go back to the things that, that were the same thing I was grasping for. So the obstacle that Jesus really had to cross um, to get to me was people. It really was relationships. I I, um, I, I grew up um, where people were used and just manipulated just to get what they wanted. So to really open up and really trust somebody, um, that was a hard thing to do. Even the guy that really was a was the person that really brought, really introduced me to Jesus and was really um, pursuing me and really um, wanting me to get involved and really wanting me to know the gospel. Uh, I shut him down countless of times before, and 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 the thing was, I really thought, you know, this guy's a great guy, good guy, and then he really did some pretty sacrificial things that just struck me. Like I would, I remember sitting there going, why would why would someone do that? That doesn't make sense to me. Um, so he was definitely different in my mind compared to everybody else. The way that um, the way that Jesus has really been that living water and really uh, refreshed me, consistent, just really satisfied. Um, all of the things, like as I said before, the things that I was reaching for, uh, I just couldn't grasp. Um, they're there I can grasp them in Jesus Christ um, reality is more whole um, to where I don't have to keep grabbing at something that really can't ever satisfy or really uh, refresh and so now knowing that, that that stuff is found that that fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ um, it takes away the striving after things that really are not going to fulfill because of what Jesus has done is 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 the reality is is that I'm I'm, I'm I'm cleansed by his blood and I'm forgiven by that. And so I don't need to keep trying to earn. There's no work on my part that needs to be done for that to be real. I can point to that and say, and, and, and just keep going back to him as just that, that well that I can keep drawing from that never um, is never empty. If you were to talk with Ian in person, uh, he, he would just openly tell you about the way he interacted before Christ by his prickly, antagonistic, antagonistic per, uh, personality. And, and this was a guy who was a, discounted by a lot of people. And now he's experienced incredible life change. 
And he's been a huge source of encouragement to me over the past few years because he's a living, walking example of the power of God to change a life completely around. And through scripture memory and, and time walking with Jesus, each part of his life is being transformed piece by piece as he, as he gets to know Jesus. And, and, and it reinforces this idea that Jesus can cross every barrier to bring us what truly satisfies. If you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you, if you haven't experienced his refreshing water that truly satisfies in life, what barriers are still standing in your way? Clearly we can see that Jesus can, he can just go right over the barriers. He can cross those. Could it be that there's a barrier blocking you from reaching back and responding to him? Jesus stands nearby, just like, you know, a few feet away, just like that woman at the well. And he's ready to hand us eternal life. In fact, he's eager to do it. He wants to. But we have to, we have to turn and respond to him. We have, this gift has to be received by us. Or maybe you already have made Jesus your Lord, and you follow him. And now you have a new role as water carrier. You carry the living water with you. And you have the ability to share the incredible news of Jesus and his story with the people that you interact with. Uh, many years ago, I was in Mexico on a missions trip, and I was with a team of people that went to a remote village uh, where we were going to serve a church and build up a house for the pastor. There was no plumbing there. There was some electricity, no plumbing, though. And we were working on this project, and it was, it was hot and dusty and dry environment. And the way they would use water is they'd get these huge drums of water, just big, huge containers. I don't know how they filled them up or how often that happened, but that's, that was their water source. And one time, there was this boy, uh, one of the boys of the family is there, a Mexican boy, and he was running around, playing, having a good time. He was scooping up water out of the drum and then throwing it on his friend, splashing it around. And as soon as that started happening, one of the, the women there said, Mijo, el agua es muy precioso. Which means, our water is so precious. She's saying, this, this is what we have to live on. You can't just splash it around. And, and he did not realize what he had in his hands. He didn't realize how valuable that water was. Here in Southern California, where we sometimes water concrete sidewalks as much as we water the lawns, the water is not quite as precious. Every drop doesn't need to be counted for. You know, it is valuable. Sometimes we forget just how valuable it is. And it's easy for me to forget just how valuable the living water of Christ is. And I get so dissuaded by the barriers in, in, that I put up or the barriers that other people put up in front of themselves that I forget how powerful and valuable is the living water. And if you, have, if, you, if you are a follower of Christ, do you believe that the living water in you is that powerful and that valuable and so precious? Precious to people dying of thirst. Very often we allow obstacles to remain in front of us, blocking us from reaching out and loving people. Or perhaps we just fail to notice people altogether. What invisible barriers will you have to smash to bring living water to parched souls? What barriers do you need to smash? And there may be a variety of them. We, you know, we may have a lot of different excuses that effectively allows us to avoid talking with people or certain people. Or, or I think, you know, how, how could that person ever turn about to God? Or how could those people ever turn to God? They're just so different. Like the Samaritan, they're so different in ethnicity or, or their lifestyle or, or the, what they got themselves into or their history. Sometimes being too busy is a barrier. I, I just don't have, I don't have time to reach out. And sometimes people are hostile to conversations about God and Christianity, and they don't want to listen. 
But the truth is, people who have not experienced God's saving love are searching for water, but the wrong kind. And they don't even know where to find it anyway. And that hostility may present a tough exterior, but they're parched and thirsty on the inside. And sometimes the turning point in a person's life may be that the problems just get so bad that they become willing to consider the living water that Jesus provides. You know, it's interesting about this story uh, of the Samaritan woman. After Jesus smashes through the disciples' preconceptions about God's saving love, he points their attention to the grains of field that they're standing in at the time. And he says, But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You can see the comparison that he's drawing between harvesting physical grain in the fields that they're in and then the urgency to reach out to lost souls and and that there's no need to wait. There's no need to wait. We don't need to wait for anything before we participate in God's plan to bring unobstructed love and living water to people. By this time, the Samaritan woman had already run back. She ran back to the village and says, the woman left her water jar beside the well. She probably just dropped it and ran after she heard his announcement, his proclamation. And telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming out of the village, came streaming from the village to see him. The disciples just had to look up at the Samaritans coming towards them. They're they're interested to to find about this man. This was big news. They wanted to come see. And so they're coming out. And you can imagine that their white clothing, which would have been customary at the time, would have formed a striking contrast against the brilliant green of those harvest fields. Almost like uh, white grains of uh, wheat ready to be gathered, you know, those people coming towards them. It was an immediate visual example of the, the ripe time for harvest. So we too can lift our eyes to those who are ripe and ready to experience God's saving love. So let's identify a few ways to reach out with God's love. First, slow down. We're busy. We've got a lot to do. There's a lot of responsibilities on your plate. And sometimes it's just one thing to the next. But where we can slow down and look around. Uh, You can bump this up on your priority list. Sometimes when I get home from work, I'm just so focused on, on getting inside or getting to dinner to my kids or the next thing that... I'm not even looking at my neighbors. I'm in the grocery store and I just got to go and I I don't have time to look around and and see who's out there. Go out of your way. Be willing to inconvenience yourself or your schedule. Because honestly, ministry is rarely convenient. (laughs) These conversations that need to happen rarely happen in a scheduled way. And so uh, be ready for that. Smile at people. Often. Always. Smile at people always when you're out, when you're interacting. Put on an attitude of patient love and and faithfulness. Maybe there are people that you have shared with, you have invested with, but it's going to take more time. You can express care for these people over the long term. And then remember, it's us for them. It's never us against them. Like the disciples had this idea, us against them. It's It's not that. It's never that. It's never us in spite of them. God has entrusted us with the message to bring to them. At this time, the worship team is going to return to the stage. And we will prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. But here's a question to consider. God, who do you want me to talk to? Actually, this is not a question. It's more of a prayer. What if you asked, what if you prayed this? 
Is it possible that if you ask God this question and you, and you actually open your mind to brand new possibilities of things you never considered before, that you'd start seeing people that never made it on your radar? Like my experience of, of walking through that fair, uh, being totally, I was so focused on my concerns, I was oblivious to the people in need around me. There may be numerous opportunities for you to do this, even this week coming up uh, in, in your normal schedule, in your workplace, or at sports camp. There'll be an opportunity to show this kind of love to the kids that we're interacting with or the parents that bring them. This is a, a huge opportunity for us as a church. And, and it, as John mentioned earlier, this is a great opportunity. Sometimes the, the best way to get someone to attend is a personal invite, a warm personal invitation or, or a repeated invitation. And go ahead and, and it's not too late to invite people to attend. In fact, if, if there is an obstacle... If one of the obstacles for you or for people that you know is the registration cost, let us know. We, we'd love to be, help remove any of the obstacles that we can to help bring more people to sports camp so that we can interact with them and introduce them to Jesus. Imagine God using us, all of us, to reach more people far from God. Incredibly, Jesus gives us the joy, the rewarding joy of participating in the harvest. He doesn't just do it all single-handedly by himself. He involves us. He includes us. And we get to see lives changed for eternity. Today, we are concluding this message series called Come and See. And we've been inviting you to come and see who Jesus is. And we've been inviting you to invite people to come and see who Jesus is. The first week, we looked at John 1, and we saw that God uses changed lives to change lives. He uses bridge people. Someone interacts with Jesus, and now they become a bridge for the gospel message to travel to new people. The second week in John 2, we see that encounters with Christ and Christians move people, move people closer to decision points. And then last week, we looked at a man who, was, who had a lot of wrestling and sorting to do. And we, and we said, if you're still sorting, consider choosing Jesus. And then today, Jesus can cross every barrier to bring us what truly satisfies. And so for four weeks... We've been looking at people who personally met Jesus for the first time and their lives were radically changed around. Maybe you're at a point where you're now ready to take some action. And after a whole series on this topic, I'll boil it down to two powerful action steps. You could take one or the other. First, I will firmly place my trust in Jesus and commit my entire life to him. You're at a point where you're ready to stop going back and forth in your mind. And you've been, you've been listening, you've been interacting, and it is no mistake that you're here today. And Jesus is eager and ready to give you the living water that will truly satisfy. And you're, and you're just ready at this point in your life to just drive a stake into the ground and say, I'm going to commit. I'm going to do this thing. And I'm going to do it for the first time. And if that's you, let us know. Write that on your connection card. We'd love to be a help to you in that process. Another next step you could take is I will talk to someone about how they could become a follower of Jesus. This is simple to understand, but very hard to do. This is a powerful next step, actually talking to someone about this stuff. Who needs to hear it? Who in your life needs to hear this incredibly good news? Or who needs to hear it again? Who in your life or who, who will you meet this week? And, and if you're going to take this next step, when? Pick a time. Set a deadline. Ask God for help sometime this week or soon to do this. Wherever you're at today, you can take a step closer to Jesus and deepen your commitment to him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
you offer us something so incredible, so, so much bigger and greater than we know. And I'm so grateful, Lord, for your living water, for the true refreshment and, and the way that you truly satisfy. I pray that you'd help each of us to deepen our commitment to you today, uh, to, to, to make a commitment to walk with you and to become mature in you as we spend time with you, Lord. Would you help us each make decision points? And Lord, for this week coming up at Sports Camp, would you also... Uh, Use this church body to make a powerful impact in our community and help people make sense out of, out, of, out of you and it makes sense out of following you and walking with you. Thank you for using us, Lord, and then thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.